Out front next, new bombings and rocket fire in Gaza tonight. Casualties mounting as questions grow over whether Israel's prime minister knew that Hamas had an attack plan a year ago. Alaska's senior advisor. Plus, to hell with this place. The parting quote of George Santos. His office already, locks already changed. His name above the office gone. So now what happens to his seat? An exclusive new reporting this hour. House Speaker Mike Johnson promoting a book full of baseless conspiracy theories and homophobic insults. Some directed directly at Pete Buttigieg. And Pete Buttigieg is out front to respond. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the war is on. Israel bombarding Gaza again and Hamas once again firing rockets now deep into Israel. Our team in Starot, Israel, hearing the rocket fire from northern Gaza. This is the aftermath you are looking at now of Israeli strikes in Khan Yunis. Both sides blaming the other for ending the pause in the fighting. The reality tonight, though, is this. More people are dying, the onslaught of war is continuing, and 136 people are still being held hostage by Hamas. That includes women and children, 17 of them, according to the IDF. And tonight we know that the October 7th attack, in which these people were captured, and another 1,200, almost all of them civilians, were killed, was known to Israel for more than a year. According to the New York Times, Israel was aware more than a year before the attack of Hamas's plans. The Times reporting Israel had Hamas's blueprint in its hands. Read it, looked at it, discussed it, but dismissed it as aspirational. Tragically, that blueprint was shockingly close to reality, even including details about these paragliders who would begin the assault. Now, I'm going to be speaking with the senior advisor to the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, in just a moment. You'll want to hear his answer to whether Netanyahu saw the blueprint. But first, I want to go to Oren Lieberman in Tel Aviv. And Oren, obviously, fighting once again resuming and now uh, strikes further south in Gaza. What is the latest there? Aaron, any hopes of extending this pause for another 24 or 48 hours were dashed early this morning when the fighting between Israel and Hamas resumed with the same intensity, the same force, and the same often horrific results as we saw before the truce just eight days ago that now feels like a lifetime ago. We have to warn you, some of the images you're about to see are quite graphic. A cruel dawn after the seventh day of rest. War once again in all its brutal intensity as the pause in fighting ended early Friday morning. Israel carried out punishing strikes in southern Gaza after previously telling Palestinians to evacuate there. Injured children rushed to the hospital following attacks in Khan Yunis and Rafah. Israel said it carried out more than 200 strikes against what it called Hamas terror targets. The results have been devastating. This is the biggest still functioning hospital in Gaza. It's at 200% capacity. Yes, this is a hospital. The health system here is overwhelmed. This hospital simply cannot take more children with the wounds of war. Trucks with humanitarian aid waited outside the Rafah crossing into Gaza, unable to enter now that fighting has resumed. Israel dropped leaflets across parts of southern Gaza, warning residents that this is an active war zone. A QR code led to a map of Gaza split into tiny parcels, a way of warning Palestinians to evacuate specific areas. But Gazans needed electricity and internet connection to view it, which had been cut off at times. They sent us these leaflets saying we have to go to Rafah. 
Where do we go in Rafa? What is there? Is Rafa safe? There's more shelling in Rafa than in Khan Yunus these days. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who met with Israeli and Palestinian leaders on Thursday, said Israel was taking concrete steps to protect civilians in Gaza. The U.S. made it clear the next phase of the war cannot look like the first phase, in which nearly 15,000 Palestinians were killed, according to the Hamas-controlled health authorities in Gaza. That is absolutely imperative, and we saw Israel take steps immediately today to start to get information to people about uh, where safe areas are, uh, how, they can, how they can get out of harm's way. The war coming to Israel as well, with sustained rocket fire from northern Gaza, where most of Israel's forces are located. And after more than a week of quiet skies over central Israel, barrages of rocket fire intercepted by Iron Dome. In the north, Apache gunships on the move, as the IDF carried out retaliatory strikes against Hezbollah targets in Lebanon following rockets launched at northern Israel. After a seven-day respite in the war, it has returned in full force. Despite the restart of fighting here, negotiations are ongoing to try to get back to a truce, a resumption of humanitarian aid going in as well, and a release of hostages, but that wasn't able to make enough progress quickly enough to, uh, to prevent the fighting that we have now seen and in all likelihood will see again. In the meantime, the New York Times article and other articles like that that we've seen over the course of the past several days raising serious questions about what Israel knew in advance and why it didn't act. Israel's chief of staff of the military says those questions will come and be answered after the war. But right now, Aaron, that seems a long way off. It certainly does. Thank you very much, Orrin, in Tel Aviv. Out front now, Mark Ragev, the senior advisor to the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. And Mark, I appreciate your time. So according to the New York Times, Israel obtained Hamas's battle plan for October 7th more than a year in advance. And I've seen some of the documents myself. I mean, the ones I saw were dated October 2022. The Times points out that the Hamas documents that they saw are shockingly close to reality. Uh, they called for a barrage of rockets at the outset of the attack. Hamas did that. They called for breaking through the wall. Hamas did that. They called for entering via paraglider. Hamas did that. They called for entering via motorcycle. Hamas did that. Mark, do you know why this document was dismissed? Well, it's, it's clear there was an amazing mishap, a uh, uh, failure. Uh, there's no excuses for it. And uh, we have to look into this. Uh, we paid for our mistakes on October 7th in blood, in the blood of over 1,200 Israelis who were, who were murdered and another 240 that were, were kidnapped and taken to Gaza. Uh, so we have to take this very seriously. Uh, uh, we can't accept uh, such a failure. We pride ourselves as Israelis for having excellent intelligence services. And in, in this case, Maybe the information there, it wasn't understood. It didn't go uh, up the chain like it should have. We have to investigate that. We have to find out exactly what happened. You know, 50 years ago, Aaron, there was a, 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 a similar colossal intelligence failure when uh, we were attacked in 1973 on the Yom Kippur War uh, from the south by Egypt, from the north from, by Syria. And we were then taken by surprise. And we had, after that, we had a commission of inquiry uh, and uh, lessons were learned. And uh, it, it was an important process for Israel. And we will probably do the same thing now, I'm sure. When this war is over, we have to look very carefully at what happened 
where was the information? Why wasn't it understood? Who is responsible? Well, so in, in July, a veteran intelligence, a veteran, I'm sorry, Israeli intelligence analyst said that Hamas had conducted an intense day-long training exercise. And the analyst said this appears similar to what was outlined in the blueprint. Now, the analyst, we understand, works for Unit 8200, which is Israel's sig signals intelligence agency, went ahead and warned higher-ups. And according to encrypted emails reviewed by the New York Times, two things then happened. One, Mark, is that a colonel in the Gaza division brushed off the concerns. And two, is that veteran analyst commented, and I quote, I utterly refute that the scenario is imaginary. Uh, you can you know, almost hear the frustration in the words uh, that that analyst chose to use. Mark, I'm curious as to what you think as to why there was such disbelief. When Israel at that point had the battle plans and then visual proof of the plans being practiced, why was there still such disbelief? So all these questions need to be looked at seriously and professionally and objectively. And we'll do that. It's our obligation. I mean, ultimately, Israel will continue to live in a, in a, in a, challenging neighborhood, some, other, some would even say a dangerous neighborhood, and therefore it's our obligation that our intelligence services have to be good, and if there are failures, we have to understand where the failures happened and why they happened. So was the Prime Minister Netanyahu aware of the Hamas document? I, I'm not aware that he was, uh, I don't know that he was aware, he, he, but we, he's said like everyone else that when, when the, uh, there are investigations after this for exactly what happened, he'll, of course, be there to answer questions and tell exactly what he was given and what he wasn't given. But at this point, you and he haven't even had a conversation as to whether he was aware of these documents that the New York Times reporting about. Not, the, not this specific document, but we have, we have had conversations on this general level. But once again, these discussions, we need to discuss uh, at the right time, and the right time will be after this hmm. war at the moment. I think all of Israel is focused on winning this war. We have to win this war against Hamas so that October 7th can never yeah. happen again. All right, Mark Ragev, thank you very much. I appreciate your time tonight, sir. Thank you for having me. Up front next, George Santos expelled. The sign above his office door gone, the locks changed, and now Democrats have a real shot to win that seat. Plus our Cape file with exclusive new reporting on House Speaker Mike Johnson. He wrote the foreword for a book that, among other things, mocks Secretary Pete Buttigieg for being obnoxiously gay. Buttigieg is out front to respond. And is he Trump's new secret weapon in Georgia? We are hearing from Trump's high-profile lawyer for the first time in court today, one who's represented rappers and has even been rapped about. Indictment on the way, Garcia on the case. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tonight, quote, to hell with this place. Republican Congressman George Santos today making a dramatic exit from Congress after being expelled over ethics violations. The sign in front of his office already taken down. The locks on the door already changed. 105 Republicans voted to oust Santos. Notably, Speaker Mike Johnson and all of the Republican leadership in the House voted to save him. So the, 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 the mass Republicans defied their leadership. Miguel Marquez is out front with reaction from Santos District in New York. Ex-Congressman George Santos leaving Congress. Intense to the very end. Moments before his chaotic exit, CNN Capitol Hill reporter Annie Grayer spoke to Santos as he watched the vote turn against him and his congressional career come to an abrupt end. It's over. Yeah. But, but what reaction? I mean, the House spoke. That's their vote. Sure. They just set new dangerous precedent for themselves. Why would I want to stay here? The hell with this place. GOP House Speaker Mike Johnson and the entire Republican House leadership voted to keep him in power. But in his Long Island, New York district, relief. George Santos has been expelled today. What was your reaction to that? That was my reaction. We made it here. The allegations snowballing since he was elected in 2022. Santos's resume and life story came under glaring scrutiny. Claims he was Jewish, that his mother was in the Twin Towers during the 9-11 terror attack, where he went to school, what sports he played, that he worked in finance for well-known banks, and that his grandparents fled the Holocaust. All of it lies. My ancestors perished in the Holocaust, so he did a horrible thing by lying about that. In addition to his largely fictitious resume, the House Ethics Committee found Santos spent thousands of donor dollars on personal expenses, including shopping at high-end designer stores, Ferragamo and Hermes, paying for rent, for Botox treatments, and subscribing to the largely pornographic website OnlyFans. Santos wearing Ferragamo shoes when he left federal court in October after pleading not guilty to new charges, totaling 23 counts of fraud and money laundering. Today, he departed the Capitol in a Jaguar SUV. I can't say I'm happy because it's sad that, uh, you know, it's come to this, but I'm glad they, I think Congress made the right decision. Robert Zimmerman lost to George Santos in 2022. This is not a time of celebration for me. It's a time of reflection about how we move forward. There are a lot of lessons to be learned. For those who voted for Santos, and even some who didn't, they fear Congress has gone too far. Shocked, because to me, the Republicans caved. They, 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 you know, they even hurt themselves. We're expelling him before he has his, a chance to have a jury of his peers decide whether his, his conduct was criminal. So what next for the 3rd District of New York? Well, the governor will set a date for a special election. The state parties will decide who runs in that election. And then no matter who is elected to represent this area of New York, they will do it all over again next year in November 2024. Aaron? Miguel, thank you.
And so let's go to Van Jones, special advisor to President Obama and CNN political commentator. So, Van, uh, the GOP now has a three-vote margin. That's it, because they just uh, lost Santos. Uh, this, his seat is a seat that Republicans had flipped in 2022. It voted for Biden, right? They voted for Biden. So this is a big opportunity, right? How big of an opening is this for Democrats? Well, I mean, it's a chance for it to, to pick up a seat, and um, the, the, the margin is so thin uh, that it, it makes it, you know, it's, it's a good thing. I, w- I will say uh, that uh, booting somebody out of Congress over uh, being a weirdo and stealing money for OnlyFans and Botox, I mean, I, I do understand the people who say, are you setting a precedent here where mm-hmm. it's going to be easier to throw people out for, for just being, I don't know, weirdos. Uh, and, and, and these, but not people who are engaged in massive corruption like some of the app scam folks. So I do worry about the presence being said here, but it's, it's good for Democrats because we get a chance to squeeze uh, the Republicans a little bit more. All right. So interesting to this point about precedent. No one in Republican leadership voted to oust Santos. And perhaps, you know, you're, what you're articulating is, is a big part of the reason why, right? The Speaker Mike Johnson uh, didn't vote to expel him. And there was even talk, Van, this morning that Santos votes might survive. Because of the pressure from GOP leadership, right, we heard Elise Stefanik was going to vote not to expel. And so there was this thing that maybe the GOP rank and file would get behind their leadership. But they Mm -hmm. didn't. And not only did they not get behind their leadership, Santos was expelled by a wider margin than anybody expected. So -hmm. what does that tell you, Van? 105 Republicans voted against their leadership on this. Well, it means the leadership doesn't get to lead very much these days. um, And there's a reason for that. uh, Santos was sucking up a lot of oxygen. It wasn't the money that he stole. It was the time and attention he was stealing from all the other Republicans that mm. made it necessary for him to go from the point of view of the rank and filers. In the old days, the leadership could control you because they had money. Uh, they can control the purse strings. Leadership can't do anything but just try to keep all the bunnies in the barn. And that's about it. Because, but but what, what the real currency now is time and attention. And Santos is sucking up all the time and attention. So from that point of view, it's rational for the rank and file to throw him out. But yeah. um, like I said, uh, uh, you know, tomorrow when they throw somebody else out and somebody else out, you might look back. And, and, and what day. about, you know, you take it over on the Senate side. You know, what about Senator Menendez? You know, someone accused of taking money from a foreign government and then doing and getting classified briefings about that government. I mean, that's a that's an extreme level of seriousness. But that's now well, you got to look at that and say, well, if this, then that. Well, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, this, yeah. is, this is Botox and OnlyFans. And uh, meanwhile, we have like, you know, pretty massive amounts of obvious corruption. I just like it when uh, the, the courts get a chance to give, say somebody's guilty or innocent. And then Congress moves. I don't like it when Congress moves ahead of the courts because then you can, you know, well, then who gets to decide? If somebody's been found guilty in a court of law, that is a very firm basis for Congress to act. Right. Uh, this other stuff, I just think is uh, people are just tired of the circus of Santos, but uh, just being a circus master or a clown is not usually basis to get uh, thrown out of Congress. 11,000 people have served in Congress. Only six have been thrown out. I can't imagine that, uh, uh, you know, uh, this rises to the level of the Abscan. All right, Van, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, a next exclusive new reporting from K-File on the House Speaker Mike Johnson and how he promoted and wrote a foreword for a book that includes numerous homophobic slurs and insults with several directed at Pete Buttigieg. The Transportation Secretary joins me next to respond. And another mega company pulls ads from X after Elon Musk dared companies to go ahead and do exactly that, telling them to go after themselves. New tonight, baseless conspiracy theories, homophobic insults. 
But those are just some of the things in a book that our K-File discovered House Speaker Mike Johnson wrote the foreword to last year. The book is called The Revivalist Manifesto and written by a man named Scott McKay, who is a political blogger in Johnson's home state of Louisiana. And one of the top targets in the book is the Transportation Secretary Buttigieg. McKay writing in part, quote, Buttigieg is a rather queer choice for Transportation Secretary, not just because he's a member of the LGBTQ community, and obnoxiously so. Buttigieg ran for president in 2020, not on the strength of his accomplishments, of which there were none. Speaker Johnson embraced the content of the book in his foreword, Writing in part, quote, Scott McKay presents a valuable and timely contribution with the Revivalist Manifesto because he has managed here to articulate well what millions of conscientious, freedom-loving Americans are sensing. Now, Secretary Buttigieg will be my guest in just a moment. But first, Andrew Kaczynski, K-File, is out front. So, Andrew, I mean, this is far from the only time in this book um, that you see McKay uh, disparage Secretary Buttigieg and his sexual orientation. In fact, so he'll be saying something and then the sexual orientation just kind of comes in there, right? Uh, using the word queer the way he did, obnoxiously so. Um, and even then, that's just a small part of uh, this book. Yeah, and right. And Mike Johnson not <laughs> only wrote the introduction to this book, he championed it passionately on his podcast. He said, I wouldn't have written that introduction if I didn't agree with it. He wholeheartedly endorsed it. And that part about Pete Buttigieg is far from the only homophobic section of the book. I want people to look at this section in which he writes about Buttigieg again. And he says that Buttigieg ran on the fact that he is openly and obnoxiously gay. It says that he had, quote, an interesting brew of queer sanctimony that attracted Democratic voters. Uh, and outside of these... Uh, queer sanctimony. Queer sanctimony. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But okay. um, I don't know what openly obnoxiously gay means either, because I know. But either, either way, the book also promotes some pretty far-fetched conspiracy theories like the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, which mm -hmm. claims that Democrats uh, were running a child sex trafficking ring because John Podesta, who was the Clinton campaign chairman's hacked emails had the word pizza and hot dog in them. And they claimed that this was code uh, for child sex trafficking of some kind. Even the author claims that some bits right. of this were debunked, but he says the, the code thing specifically wasn't. And then there's this part about uh, John Roberts, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, where he basically shares a hoax that he's connected to Jeffrey Epstein uh, and says that he could be being blackmailed over it. So those are just a few things that were endorsed by the person who's second in line for the presidency. Second in line for the presidency. And and as you say, he, he it wasn't a, just a blurb, as they call it, on the back saying, hey, my friend wrote this book. It was the introduction to the book. It was interviews afterward. It was a lot of detail. On social media, he, he told people to buy it as well. Right. So, I mean, he really promoted it. What did he have to say about all of this and about the introduction that he wrote when you reached out to him and said you have all the supporting. So we reached out to his office. We initially didn't hear back before we published our story, but a few hours after our story published, his, his office reached out to us. They told us they were going to comment. And they said to us, quote, uh, the speaker had never read the passages highlighted in the CNN story, which he strongly disagrees with. He wrote the forward as a favor to a friend. Uh, he's supportive of the general theme of the book, but not as an endorsement of all the opinions expressed. So that's what they told us. Uh, yesterday or today, uh, listen to uh, what he said in 2022 when he was promoting the book on his podcast. 
I obviously believe in the product or I wouldn't have written the foreword. So I, I endorse the work. I think it's important because this is a very, very important conversation we need to be having right now. And I think it really could make some waves and it's beginning to do that. Well, so, that part's true. Right. So now. <laughs> he, he endorsed it, endorsed it then, uh, told people to buy it, Says uh, now says he, he didn't read it. It's, just, uh, it's incredible. All right. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that reporting, Andrew. And out front now, the Secretary of Transportation. And out front now, the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Now, Secretary, the author of this book, Scott McKay, who Speaker Johnson has called a dear friend, uh, writes something else I wanted to read to you. In part, he says, nobody in the administration knows anything about how transportation and logistics work. Something else that was made unmistakably obvious when the supply chain disintegrated in the summer on gay Mayor Pete Buttigieg's watch. Okay. What do you think this obsession is over you and your sexual orientation? It seems like they just can't think of anything else, right? There's no discussion of what we actually did. Uh, I'd be happy to spend all day talking about how in that very same season when they said Christmas was going to be canceled because of supply chain problems, we wound up having an all-time record high in terms of uh, goods moving through our ports. But uh, in in the meantime, you, you have somebody who is taken seriously by none other than the Speaker of the House of the United States basically suggesting that the reason we had supply chain problems in the rebound from COVID wasn't because uh, of the factories in China shutting down and then sending their ships here all at once. It was because the Secretary of Transportation is married to a guy and not to a woman. They, they just can't seem to let go of this. So the speaker, Mike Johnson, wrote the foreword for the book, as you know. In the book, the author writes Buttigieg is a rather queer choice for transportation secretary, not just because he's a member of the LGBTQ community, and obnoxiously so, uh, and then continues, uh, the author, to write about your 2020 campaign. Quote, Buttigieg ran on the fact that he is openly and obnoxiously gay, the central precept of his campaign being that Christians objecting to his lifestyle were bad at religion, while he is not. All right, that's, um, that's, that, that, that's in the book. And in his foreword to this, Mike Johnson calls the book, and I quote, a valuable and timely contribution. What's your reaction even to that? Where do you even, where do you even start with this, right? It, it's 2023, I guess 2022, when the book came out. And uh, we're still talking about people this way based on who they are, who they love. America, most of America at least, has moved on from this kind of thing. Uh, and what's obnoxious is the idea that, that you can uh, be coming back to, to race or sexuality as this author does constantly. Uh, you know, not just the way he talks about me, but the way he talks about cabinet colleagues of mine, uh, all kinds of things that, that mostly seem to come back to an obsession with identity, uh, with either mm-hmm. uh, who you're married to or what your race is, and very little uh, certainly very little of use about how to make this country a better place. So Andrew Krasinski, you just heard him play what Speaker Johnson said last year about the book, book obviously glowing praise, uh, including that he said that he wrote the foreword because he believed in the product and he endorsed the work. He said, quote, I love the book. All right. Today, though, uh, in light of all these things and these things that we are reading to you, uh, K-File calls a spokesperson for uh, the Speaker Johnson and 
that person says, quote, the speaker had never read the passages highlighted in the CNN story, which he strongly disagrees with. He wrote the foreword as a favor to a friend, supportive of the general theme of the book, but not as an endorsement of all the opinions expressed. What do you say to that? He's saying he never saw uh, these uh, phrases I just read you. Pretty hard to believe. I mean, uh, look, uh, I've often been called to, to write a blurb for a book. Uh, he didn't just do that. He didn't just put a quote on the back of it. He wrote a forward that is in the book, then had this guy on his podcast, and then went out of his way to say things associating himself both with the author and with the book. So that just doesn't pass the smell test. And also what is in here is not inconsistent with things that Johnson himself has said publicly. Right. It's not the first time far from that, that he's promoted anti-LGBTQ views. Uh, he's done it for decades, as K-File discovered. Just listen to this, Secretary. It's time for an honest conversation about homosexuality. There's freedom to change if you want to. Homosexual behavior is something you do. It's not something that you are. One in four high school students identifies as something other than straight. Um, we're losing the country. So those are... All things he said, he wrote, as you know, 2004, multiple editorials against same-sex marriage, including one secretary where he says experts project that homosexual marriage is the dark harbinger of chaos and sexual anarchy that could doom even the strongest republic. He talks about it a lot. He seems fixated on it, and it's really troubling for millions of Americans uh, including me and my husband. And, you know, th this is, again, not just some fringe radical member of Congress, although I would argue these positions are, are, are certainly radical. Yeah. It's the Speaker of the House, and he is second in line for the American presidency. Well, I mean, it is pretty incredible to see some of this and to see those editorials. And uh, while I think it's important that, that you come out and speak about it, I, of course, share what maybe you didn't say, but perhaps you feel that it's incredibly frustrating that you would even have to be doing some. So at this this time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And next, a major court ruling against Trump cutting at the heart of his defense, why he's about to face a slew of new lawsuits. And the Palestinian student shot in the spine in Vermont as he was walking down the street, right now still in the hospital. Will he be able to walk again? His uncle, just back from spending the day with him in that hospital, is out front tonight. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. All right, we just have some breaking news in. A federal judge in Washington just a moment ago denying Trump's attempt to dismiss his federal election interference case, doing so on the basis of presidential immunity. It is a major defeat for Trump. This is the criminal case in Washington, Judge Chutkin making that ruling. It comes after a similar federal appeals court ruling earlier today that Trump cannot claim presidential immunity in civil lawsuits related to the January 6th attack. So much more on this, and I said this breaking development in just a moment. It comes as in Georgia, Trump's newest lawyer, uh, Steve Sadow that you see right there, speaking today for the first time at Trump's Georgia election subversion hearing in a surprise move, arguing that there should be no trial until 2029 in that case. 
Sadow has a reputation for being a secret weapon of the elite, representing Usher and rappers like T.I. and Rick Ross. Ross even rapping about Beloyer. I'm out on bond, so I gotta beat it. Lord. Half a million to my lawyer, cause he undefeated. Say that. Tom Foreman is out front. Former President Trump should not even be facing charges for questioning his election loss in Georgia. That was Trump lawyer Steve Sadow's claim in court, where he said, just look at the state's case. You find that it violates free speech, freedom of uh, petitioning, all the expressions that the First Amendment is designed to protect, and therefore... The the indictment needs to be dismissed. Attorneys for others accused of trying to overturn the Georgia vote echoed that argument and effectively said no one has been charged for something like this before. The prosecution's quick reply. This is the first time someone has, uh, a criminal enterprise has gotten together and tried to overturn the results of an election. Indictment on the way, got Seda on the case. So who is Trump's attorney mentioned in this rap video? Sadow is an Atlanta lawyer with a national reputation for arranging plea bargains on some big racketeering cases and helping high-end clients on other matters, including rappers Rick Ross and Tip T.I. Harris. Probably the best criminal defense attorney uh, of his time. On Harris's podcast, Sadow talked about his skepticism when it comes to police and prosecutors. We know a lot about abuse of authority. I mean, it's, it always will continue. It's just a question of what technique is used. My impression was something big is about to happen. In 2017, when former FBI Director James Comey testified about being fired by Trump in the heat of the Russia probe, Sadow tweeted, I am not a Trump supporter, but he called Comey self-righteous and a CYA showboat. Now he is representing the former president in Georgia, where some Trump allies, Mr. Chesbrough, like Kenneth Chesbrough, have taken a plea deal. Chesbrough's lawyer knows Sadow and says he's the right attorney to juggle the unique demands of this case. What we always want to tell our clients is don't say anything, be quiet, let me do all the talking. That's advice any criminal defense lawyer would give their client. You can't do that. In a case like this, the man's running for president. So, in court, Sadow is plowing ahead, suggesting the whole case, if it proceeds next year, will interfere with the election. But can you imagine the notion of the Republican nominee for president not being able to campaign for the presidency because he is, in some form or fashion, in a courtroom defending himself? Well, you alluded to it earlier, Aaron, uh, and perhaps it's no surprise when the judge says, what happens if Donald Trump wins the next election? Sato's response, well, I'm pretty sure the law won't let him to be tried until he is done with the presidency. Aaron? And that would have been 2029. All right. Thank you very much, Tom Foreman. Out front now, Ryan Goodman, our legal analyst. So, Ryan, let's just start there. People have called Sadow a genius. He argued and won the largest RICO case in Georgia history, really well known in Georgia. Uh, and he knows RICO. And that's what this is about. Uh, this is, I guess, um, now is the largest RICO case, unless that. You know, <laughs> uh, so any indication in court today of his strategy in that case? So I thought he equipped himself very well um, and he was formidable. And the strategy, I think, is delay, delay, delay. It's Trump's strongest card. And what he had to do today is make a procedural argument that would allow the judge to reconsider the judge's prior rulings mm -hmm. to allow them to entertain a First Amendment 
claim uh, before the trial even begins. That's what he wanted, which would create a huge delay. And that's a uphill battle to get the judge to kind of reverse himself from his prior rulings. He may have actually managed to do that. The judge seriously took into account his arguments mm. and that might result in delay to delay. I don't think they'll win the First Amendment argument. That that, that is not the point. Delay and, is the point. But, but you thought that he that he's basically saying, uh, you know, if he's successful here, uh, 2029 is when this one would come. And that's hugely significant because the Georgia case is the one where, you know, you can't pardon a sitting president. So even if a president, even if he could pardon himself, wouldn't work there. Right. I mean, the Georgia one is specifically very crucial. That's right. Can't pardon uh any of himself, and he can't pardon his co-defendants, and he can't quash the case as he could if it was the Justice Department running the prosecution. But what Sadow says is, no, but there's a supremacy clause argument, and the Constitution would say you do not get to prosecute a sitting president. Once again, that is a strong argument. There is a very strong argument that the U.S. Supreme mm. Court will side with him and say a president is immune while they're in office. All right, so that obviously is crucial. Now, then just moments ago, as you were walking to sit down, Judge Tanya Chutkin rules uh, against Trump's motion to dismiss using the argument of presidential immunity for January 6th. That, uh, you know, obviously happening right now. Can you can you put it in context, even in just a minute uh, since it happened? Yeah, so it's actually really interesting in the sense that it dovetails <laughs> with Sato's argument today. He said, after he's president, he can be prosecuted. Well, that's this case. So can Jack Smith prosecute President Trump, or does he have immunity for the actions that he took while he's president? The answer is... You can prosecute somebody. And I, there's one important line in there from her opinion. She says, defendants Trump's four-year service as commander-in-chief did not bestow on him the divine rights of kings to evade the criminal accountability that governs his fellow citizens. It's a very huge opinion in this case because it means that Jack Smith can go forward mm -hmm. unless she is overturned by the Court of Appeals, but that shouldn't be happening. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan. And that development from Judge Chaikin happening just a few moments ago here as Ryan sat down. Next, we have an update on the Palestinian student shot in the spine while he was just walking down the street with his friends. His uncle, who just came out of the hospital from seeing him today, is next. And Walmart becoming the latest advertiser to pull money from X, largest private employer in the United States, pulling off of Twitter just days after Elon Musk had this message. Go yourself. <laughs> Is that clear? Tonight, one of the Palestinian students who was shot alongside two of his friends in Vermont is speaking out for the first time to CNN. Tassin Ali Ahmad said in a statement, quote, the attacker who targeted us didn't see us as human beings. Tassin was shot in the chest and is still in the hospital. So is his lifelong friend, Hisham Mawatani, who suffered a serious spinal injury. And out front now is Rich Price, Hisham's uncle. Sham and his friends were staying over at Rich's home over the Thanksgiving holiday. They were out for a walk uh, when this horrific, horrific shooting happened. And, and Rich, thank you for being on with us. I know you had a chance to spend the day uh, with your nephew in the hospital. How is he? Well, Aaron, thanks again for a chance to talk to you about Hisham. He's, in, he's incredible. I mean, I, every single day, every single day, I am just... <clears throat> blown away by what kind of young man he is. His concern has, <clears throat> right from the start, has been for his friends, first of all, these two friends who were injured, his parents who are so far away, and for, you know, now that he's learned that uh, bombing has resumed in Gaza, his concern is for for those who, who are suffering under, under that siege. Um, 
look, I, I know it's incredible that he's able to, to have that focus and do that. I mean, I know he hasn't, at least we understand, been able to move his legs. And I know doctors had raised real concerns about walking in the future. Look, you haven't had a lot of time. This is going to be a, a long process, I know, Rich, of, of recovery. But has that prognosis changed or improved at all at this point? No, the, it's still very much the same. He's he's currently paralyzed from the chest down. Um, next week, he'll be moved to a rehabilitation center uh, where he'll begin the work uh, that is to come. Uh, and and we know that part of it is a, a sort of a medical, uh, a, a therapy component, but there's also a really important mindset and uh, spirit component and and. You know, from what I know of Hashem and from what he's demonstrated this week, um, he's he's meeting this challenge head on. I mean, I, I spoke to a doctor today who said he's, he's seen a lot of people suffer really devastating injuries like this. And, and it's rare to see someone who's as engaged, who's asking the doctors questions, um, who is um, sort of already put himself in the frame of mind to overcome this uh, ordeal. He just sounds extraordinary. Um, you know, Rich, we've learned that there was a, an ex-girlfriend of the shooting suspect, that at one point she called police and to remove a shotgun that he had left in her home. And she had told police at the time she was too afraid to return the weapon herself uh, to actually go, you know, give it to him. Um, what is your reaction to this new information and what it might say about uh, the man, the suspect who did this? Well, um, with all due respect, I, I, there's there's not much more that I need to know about this guy to know that he's uh, he's not a good guy, and uh, it's it's my hope and my expectation that the full weight of the law is going to come down upon him. And are you frustrated at this point? There hasn't been an update on whether this is a hate crime or not. Uh, not really, Aaron. I, you know, we, we understand that there's a legal threshold, uh, certain specific evidence that, that, that they need to attain to, uh, to, to transition to that designation. And, 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 you know, whether that comes or not, we're confident that, that, that they're going to carry on. And, and, uh, and as I said, we want the full weight of the law to come down on them, whatever, however that is. Well, Rich, I appreciate your time. Our thoughts are with Hisham. And as I said, what an extraordinary young man. He clearly is. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. And next, Elon Musk told ex-advertisers to go F themselves. He said it loud and clear and repeatedly. And tonight, Walmart delivering a similar message in different words to Musk. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.